before we dive into our conversation today, we just kind of wanted to quickly give get people up to speed on like what's been going on with us. Um, I uh, I can go first um, just to get out of the way. I had to step back and it you know slowed down the editing. We actually have like a shitload of episodes that we're really excited to bring to all of you. Um, we've recorded them you know going back as far as March. Um, but we had to slow down because I got in a pretty bad car accident at the beginning of the month, uh, at the beginning of May, that is. Um, and I'm fine. Uh, you know, I had some back pain that I've been dealing with, um, but nobody was seriously injured. Uh, my car got totaled, but it's fine. Somebody just ran a red light and hit us. But, um, you know, I've been spending pretty much all my time since then, you know, dealing with insurance and medical claims and just kind of all this bullshit. So, um, and then, you know, on top of it, the, everything going on with the pandemic and sort of helping my family through that. And, um, so yeah, I just wanted to, to share that. Um, Kim, I don't know if you had anything that you wanted to say about, uh, your last few weeks or anything. Yeah. I mean, after we, uh, after we launched the website and published the list of demands and the, um, the support guide, I just kind of hit a wall. I'd been doing um, a lot of, you know, uh, direct support for individual people. And, um, and that basically spawned a bunch of, you know, other calls and, uh, and things. And I basically reached uh, the limit um, to add to that. Uh, and I've I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, um, but maybe not. Um, I also have um, chronic pain and uh, I also have um, a gluten intolerance, which is not fun. And somewhere along the way there, I got glutened. And um, if anybody that has that experience, you know, or knows uh, you are, or at least I was completely flattened. Um, I, you know, experienced a lot of pain, a lot of swelling, um, you know, just all kinds, a range of symptoms that makes my life um, an absolute hell. Um, but, you know, the most, um, I would say the most difficult part of getting glutened, um, and it's all usually accidentally, it's not like I'm going mm -hmm. out seeking gluten, um, been living with this for, for a while now, and I'm pretty, you know, pretty careful and savvy and, um, you know, in that regard. But, um, you know, the issue with it is that uh, the fatigue uh, that comes along with, uh, with being glutened. And uh, when I say I can barely get up and move yeah. um, when I have that, it, it usually lasts um, four weeks or longer. And I spent about six weeks really, really struggling. Um, mm. I was doing things, but it just was not, you know, like it just, it just was not going to happen. Um, and on top of that, I, I mean, I still have two sons that are in prison and, right. uh, you know, and that in the middle of a pandemic requires, um, a tremendous amount of, you know, energy and, um, yeah, and including all the people that I know that are inside currently that, you know, I'm connected to and, um, you know, being in touch with them and, and all of that. So, yeah, it, it was a lot. And then yeah. we had 
all kinds of weird shit happen at home. I mean, my cat had to be rushed to the vet and, oh, you know, 16 year old kitty, um, you know, that was going like that put me through <laughs> some changes, totally. yeah. put me through some serious changes there, but he's home. He's fine. He's fine. Mm. Like, he's still raising hell and, you know, running <laughs> around and, you know, doing all the things that he does. And, um, and that's wonderful, but it was, it was a lot. I mean, you know, so yeah, so we wanted to, yeah. you know, let people know honestly where we are personally because you know we do this work. Um, oh, yeah, well, you also have a full time job, so mm-hmm. we need to, we need to make that clear. Like, you're I got a couple, yeah. you know, on top of a full time job, so you know, we, we want to give folks like, um, we wanted to share that because, um, we feel that it's important for people to know, um, you know, what we're dealing with in our daily lives so that, you know, it's clear, like, it's not just, um, you know, we just show up and we're doing a podcast and everything is great because I think that that is, um, that obscures all of the, things that are you know really happening in people's lives while they're doing this work like right. it's not just everything isn't always you know rosy roses and kittens or whatever i don't know <laughs> what, what people say? i have no idea rainbows <laughs> and bunnies i don't know yeah, but anyway we're, we're real people yeah we're, we're real people we're not media personalities or whatever the fuck but um but yeah so I, I echo all of that. And I also just wanted to quickly thank, you know, I, the vast majority. I know that times are hard and everything. The vast majority of our patrons stuck with us, uh, which was cool, even though we sort of were out of sight for a while. So appreciate that. And we got a bunch of um, of new people as well. So uh, welcome and thank you. And yeah. um, I also know that we have a bunch of new listeners who are probably going to hear this. I've noticed over the last few days. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, we're going to get into that conversation, but um, we have some new people checking us out and um, want to encourage any of you who haven't listened to the back catalog yet um, to do so, particularly the first few episodes of the show. Um, I think it'll be helpful, you know, especially for the conversation that we're going to have today. Um, You know, I think a lot of the things actually that at least I want to talk about today, I feel like have come up, you know, in the prison strike episodes um, in our discussions of reform and all of that. Um, so every single episode that we've ever yeah. recorded is relevant to the situation that's happening today. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> relevant to, you know, talking about the intersections of, you know, policing, the military, um, and abolishing prisons. It's relevant to, you know, conversations around, you know, why reforms are problematic and uh, what it is that abolitionists are really asking for. Um, you know, we take great care, I think, um, to address, you know, a lot of different issues from, you know, um, from different angles, right? Um, not necessarily different perspectives. So let's be clear, we have an opinion uh, mm-hmm. here. We have, you know, <laughs> we have a slant, we don't disguise that. Um, and we're not aiming to be um, the, you know, a platform that uh, gives quote unquote, equal time to the other side. No, fuck um, that. There's plenty of places <laughs> um, where people can go 
to, you know, to hear that if that's their interest. Um, and there's plenty of places where people can go if they want to have that conversation. Yeah. If you want to hear what the cops think, turn on the fucking television or open a newspaper. Uh, go to Twitter. <laughs> yeah. go to Twitter and Facebook right now. What a shit show. They got oh a whole bunch God, of people doing their work show. for them. So I, oh, I had to log off. I mean, that's, that, there's, there's a segue to, you know, to yes. today's conversation. Um, log so, off. Yeah. <laughs> that's the that's the header of this next section. <laughs> oh my god, I can't, I can't, I can't. I had to, I had to just close out, you know, um, close out uh, the app and and not look at it, which has been um, really tough for me because um, <laughs> I haven't been tweeting like for years now. Like I maybe tweet every now and then, um, <laughs> and. I rage tweeted over the weekend and that shit took off, which I found really, you know, like interesting. Um, mm. I'll put it that way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Twitter's like all of the things that, you know, I hate and love about the platform um, are pretty much still there. Uh, but right now for the kind of fast paced uh, stuff, and this, is, this uh, episode and this podcast are not sponsored by fucking Twitter. So let's just... <laughs> Here. Yeah, <laughs> we get no money, no money um, yeah. from these people, and we don't want any. We don't want any. Let's just be clear about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we you know we use Twitter pretty much like everyone else. So yeah, I took a I took a break from Twitter in May too after the the car accident, and I've felt compelled to share resources and dip back in a little bit but man what a fucking mistake that is you should really just stay away from that shit i don't know every day every day every day yeah. it's like why did i go down this rabbit hole i'm like wondering why yeah. my anxiety is you know really bad some days or why I can't yeah. and then it's like i spent 12 hours looking at twitter you know it's like yeah. not okay not okay but yeah, we want to talk about um, the protests. Uh, we want to talk about policing in this country um, and what is happening, not just in this moment. And we don't want to think of it as a moment, but it's really a movement uh, mm -hmm. and it's continuing to grow. So those are just some things that we want to touch on today. Um, do you want to kick us off, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, everything in my head are just like sort of these little clips of things mm -hmm. that are happening, you know, like, yeah. um, I'm just gonna throw stuff out. And like, if it, you know, encourages a certain conversation, and that's great. Um, here in Portland, I live in Portland, Maine, for anybody who doesn't know. Um, <clears throat> last night, uh, you know, we've had pretty sizable protests for a state the size of ours, and particularly a state as white as ours. Maine is about 98.5% white, and that's not an exaggeration. I think the black population is about 1.5, 1.6%. I would like to urge people not to use that stat to dismiss uh, things, but to recognize that we absolutely have a black population here. Many of them uh, are migrants, um, and they are absolutely treated like shit for the most part. And a lot of people like to excuse the fact that Maine is a predominantly white state uh, to sort of be like, oh, well, you don't have any sort of like racial justice issues there. Nobody gives a shit. Uh, it's absolutely not the case. Um, you know, I, the racial disparities and incarceration here are absurd. Um, 
Southern Maine, where I live, has is like far more liberal than the rest of the state. And down here, I mean, there's been protests all around the state, but down here in Portland, there's been some pretty sizable protests. Um, but we have that fuckery uh, that we talk about in the Stop Hugging Cops episode. We had last night here in Portland, uh, several hundred people protesting outside the police department and the police chief and the cops making statements that like your pain is our pain and we're taking a knee with you and all of the local journalists ate it up. Uh, and meanwhile, another journalist, independent journalist here, I'm, I, I don't want to fuck up his name, but I'm pretty sure it's Nathan Bernard. Um, I'll be sure to find this and put this in the episode notes, but he snapped a photo of pretty much at this moment, uh, snipers on the roof pointing their guns at the protesters at the same protest where the cops are taking a knee with everyone. And I just thought that that was like such a, a profound metaphor, you know, for like police reform and sort of this sort of lovey dovey kumbaya bullshit that, um, you know, there are, there is a better nature in policing and we just have to get down to it. And we all believe in the same thing and we all want the same thing. And, no, uh, you know, um, <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> I was just, I was just saying, uh, you know, coincidentally, not an ad for Twitter, but on Twitter earlier, just so much of it reminds me of Make America Great Again. Oh it's yeah, this racist. Whether whether people knowingly know that it's racist or not, it's this racist hearkening back to a time when things were simpler and better, and we didn't have these problems and blah blah blah. I mean, all of this. When belief, was this? I want to know when the fuck was this? It's like, we want, these folks want to go back to a time when we, you know, when black people were not allowed to walk on the sidewalk if a white person was there and we had to go, you know, in the back entrance. That's what the fuck people are saying when they want, you know, to say, make America great again. I'll, I'll tell you what, it's a, make America great again is a horizon. It's uh it's a purity politics in terms of racial purity. It's a desire to, not go backwards as much as it tries to use nostalgia, but to really try to build towards a white state. And mm -hmm. I really feel that way about the discussion about like, we just need to make some of these tweaks and like make the police, you know, something that we can all feel good about. It never happened in the past. And given the historic, the, the history of policing in this country, given the ways that these institutions, the objectives that these institutions have had since their beginning, uh, it's just not going to fucking happen. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm really sorry. It's not, you're not going to get the friendly neighborhood cop who gives your kid ice cream that you saw on like a postcard from the 1950s while they were like beating the shit and hosing black people in the streets. You know, like I, I just, it, it just baffles me uh, that people at this point I mean, you know, I don't want to say it surprises me because, of course, it doesn't fucking surprise me. But at this point, six years after Black Lives Matter began, that people want to pull out the same fucking reforms and ideas and these these sort of uh, beliefs that we can get to this place, this mythical place in policing. You're just not fucking paying attention. You know, you're just not. And, I, and I'll, well, I, mean, I, I think that they're paying attention. I think that, you know, this is um, abuser logic, right? Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's the 
kind of collective gaslighting that is happening right now is, you know, it is pretty much wrapped up in what you were just saying, right? So it's like, we're just going to roll out the same old bullshit reforms um, that, you know, they've been talking about for decades. And, you know, we're going to do a uh, diversity or sensitivity training, uh, you know, for cops and, you know, everything's going to be all good. And this is, you know, really contributing um, to the noise that we're seeing, you know, not only on social media, but um, also in terms of how the media is, you know, describing the situation. Mm -hmm. We can talk about that momentarily, but yeah. You know, um, to your point about, you know, uh, cops taking a knee, um, I, I wrote about this on Twitter um, the other day. And, you know, basically what I said was that, you know, cops joining protests is a tactical move designed mm -hmm. to shift attention from the fact that policing is a genocidal practice. This is prop a propaganda campaign that undermines the things that protesters are demanding. This is cops attempting to control the narrative and succeeding. I went on from there. Um, it's just, you know, a, a short thread. But, you know, the idea that, you know, somehow there's this unity um, across, you know, the police who are literally there with guns and, you know, riot gear and <laughs> all of this stuff, you know. And chemical it, weapons. Chemical weapons, right? Um, and it, they're somehow, you know, absolved of everything because they sit down and take a knee and you see a lot of this bullshit being retweeted and posted all over social media where people are like oh my god we need more of this oh my god this is the thing that we need to do you know and it's like no cut it cut it out you're being like, played yeah we need, god we need political education in this country so badly like it, it just unbelievable that that is the thing, you know, to um, I wanted to pivot back to something you said as well about, um, you know, what's going on in Maine, um, in Philly and um, on Saturday, Sunday, um, there were protests um, in, in Philadelphia and in, in West Philadelphia. And uh, the news coverage was, oh, my gosh, you know, um, how will the area, you know, ever rebuild, right? The, you know, they talked about it being a war zone and all of this stuff. So I'm not far from there. And I said, okay, you know, I said to my partner, I said, let's get in the car and go drive around and, you know, see what, see what we find. Um, and we're driving and we drove, you know, all the way down Baltimore Avenue and back. We drove um, Walnut, Chestnut and Market Streets. And, you know, these are the places where they were talking about in the news. And they were saying that, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, it's destroyed. And what we found was basically nothing. Mm -hmm. I'm saying nothing. That's the story that almost all of the buildings, all of the storefronts were completely intact. The handful of things that were damaged um, included, you know, um, a restaurant that had some, you know, racist fuckery happen uh, last year and their workers uh, walked out in protest. So that place was hit. Um, I don't right. think that was an accident, um, <laughs> uh, but I also ain't mad. Um, the liquor <laughs> store, um, you know, the, the wine and spirits store, right? So uh, that got hit on, on Baltimore and um, there were some stores that were tagged and I think one other occupied store um, that was hit. For the most part, 
nothing else was hit, right? Nothing else. We drove um, up and down Market Street and really found nothing. Um, what I heard later was that I think the Foreman Mills up there was hit. And it's like, really? Like, this is the destruction of the community? And that's how it was being presented in the media. The destruction of the communities. People burnt down their community. They destroyed it. And it's like, no, on 52nd Street, which was um, apparently the hub of the activity, um, the McDonald's on 52nd Street got hit, a family dollar and uh, one occupied store. Uh, the rest were basically empty storefronts from what we could see, you know, and we drove up and down and we were very careful to, you know, not contribute again to the noise and to sensationalize this and basically, you know, make it into something that it wasn't. Um, the media did that. The media the, the, uh, pretty much did that. And yeah. we were just, we looked at each other like, wait, did we miss something? Let, let's drive back down the street again, you know? And we <laughs> we did that for, <laughs> and we're just baffled, baffled at the absence of destruction that was there, you know, but like I said on, on Twitter, um, this was used as a pretext to call in, you know, more policing, um, to increase tactics, to uh, call in the National Guard and to, in you know, implement a, a curfew, which we're still under. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's also frustrating um, because I talked to people who were, you know, at that protest while they were at the protest. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Um, you know, and they were telling me how, you know, uh, there was, um, there was a trash can fire, right? So a trash can fire. And I'm like, okay, who set the trash can on fire? Who the hell knows? We don't know, right? No one knows. A trash can spontaneously caught on fire. Well, that of course attracted people, right? To the streets. And when all these people came out, you know, the police started to basically corral, you know, corral them and they started blocking off streets and they blocked a lot of people in. To add to that, um, public transportation shut down at 6 p.m. on Sunday. Uh, so people that were in the area that, you know, wanted to get out couldn't leave. Uh, so there were a number of different things that were happening. But the story that's been getting told is that, you know, Black people destroyed their community. And it's like, one, there was no destruction, no meaningful destruction to speak of. The few stores, um, Family Dollar, like, really? Like, really? Come on. Well, and like, why, motherfucker? Like, even if even if it did happen, like, I'm, I'm not, I, I completely, I'm very glad that you raised the point that it's fucking bullshit. And I'll get back to that in a minute. But... I feel like as abolitionists, we are concerned with root causes, right? Mm -hmm. Why do people destroy property? That should be the next fucking question out of every exactly. person's mouth. Exactly. I, I mean, like, and I don't, I'm not even going to answer it because I, everybody fucking knows why, because yeah. this shit keeps going and it not only does it stay the same, but it gets worse with time. And, yeah. and so to focus on stuff, it's just exactly. stuff. It's exactly. property. It'll get replaced. And you know what won't get replaced? People's lives. Exactly. You know, we're not like, 
it's it's just I mean the, to me. the the way I described it on 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 social media was you know to really point out the fact that um within you know a few hours people went from you know yay you know um R.I.P. George Floyd and you know fuck the police and all this other stuff to all of a sudden like oh come on you can't you know like no don't do this there's a right way and they're quoting MLK and all that kind of bullshit and I'm like wow wow are you not seeing what is actually going on here right like we went from a situation where the protesters had a great deal of support, right? Especially when they were protesting in Center City, right? So the the businesses that got destroyed in Center City are, you know, wealthy uh, or cater to more wealthy uh, wealthy folks. I posted the demographics of Center City, right? And uh, in that area, it's not an area populated by Black people. Right. It's like the average income of Center City was something like ninety one thousand dollars and higher in some areas. So, you know, that kind of that needs to be said, you know, Mm -hmm. but I want to also hit on your point. And I know we're kind of jumping all over the place here, but that's because we're fucking pissed. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We are not happy and we're frustrated just like everybody else. Um, And thank goodness we don't have sponsors, so we don't have to worry about what they Mm -hmm. think and we don't have to censor what we say. But, um, you know, to your point about uh, uh, destruction of private property, like who gives a fuck? Like that's that's where you, uh, you know, if that's your framework for understanding this and for deciding whether you're going to back these protests and say that the police have to go. And it's like, because, you know, some people basically, as, as Jay put it, um, I, I love Jay on Twitter. It's like, I, I don't know where he gets this energy from, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he was basically pointing out that, you know, this is, I mean, the people were getting their stimulus checks, right? Yeah. <laughs> people who didn't get their stimulus checks were getting their stimulus checks now. So, you know, like attacking the protesters does not serve the you know the cause right attacking the protesters does not serve the cause and you're seeing these divisions um amongst all kinds of people right who are calling out or attacking people for you know quote unquote looting and i i said on twitter again yes um, thank you i'm glad that this was not, you know, this is not looting. This is redistributing wealth, right? So let's, we need to shift our language and our understanding of the problem that these aren't riots. This is a rebellion. This is an uprising. And every freaking time I open, you know, um, a, a news site, it's, it, this is how they're describing them as riots, right? Or people are looting and, and what have you. Um, and that's designed, that language is, designed and chosen specifically to create an image in people's minds about what the actual problem is and to obscure the fact that the real problem is that we have a system in this country where it's you know the deep deep inequality a tremendous amount of poverty that people can't afford a lot of the basic everyday things right so destroying a fucking mcdonald's um <laughs> It's not destroying a community. 
It's not. Yeah. If if looting is the thing, is your red line, then you should save that fucking energy for the way that people are looted forwards and backwards every minute of every fucking sec, like of every day in this country. Like wage theft, having their lives stolen by the police or by not having health care. You know, like people are being fucking looted every single day in this country. And somehow it upsets you. And I wonder why when you have people fighting back, you know, like this country, this country was basically founded by looters. It was. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, let's just let's just keep it real. Right. Let's just keep it real. This country why, yeah. people basically looted the fucking country and killed, you know, um, the native populations that were here. It's it, what are you talking about? It's oh, God. And we need to interrogate like precisely what you were saying, the language. Why is it looting when the people do it from the bottom up and it's not looting when people do it from the top down? Why yeah. is it violence? I mean, first of all, I don't fucking believe in violence against property. That's fucking no, absurd. No but why is it characterized as violence from the top, from the bottom up and not violence from the top down? Exactly. You know? Exactly. I, ask yourself that question before you start hand wringing about fucking Starbucks or Wells Fargo having to re call up their insurance company to fucking replace a window. And honestly, um, one thing that we saw, and this is what wasn't clear because I wasn't out there, um, you know, I, I wasn't out there. So what wasn't clear to us was how many businesses actually preemptively boarded up before the protest, because I got an email from my bank, which is in the area, um, and <laughs> saying that they were closing down because of, you know, potential unrest. So when we drove by, the bank had already been boarded up. So that happened before the protest. That wasn't after the protest. So if people are out there taking photos of these boarded up, you know, uh, businesses. They need to understand that, you know, uh, they need to provide context and mm -hmm. not just, you know, willy nilly post that shit without making it clear that that business may have been boarded up, you know, before mm -hmm. this, you know, before anything happened. And the whole thing about something happening, like, okay, can we talk about the, you know, the fact that, oh my gosh, like, uh, <laughs> I have a headache. Yeah, really we, it's only it. been 20 minutes too, but uh, <laughs> but, you know, but, there's, but there's um, did, what's the word that I'm looking for here? Um, they're trying to say all of a sudden, I, I can't fucking think of, of actual words. Um, <laughs> the the somehow that uh the protesting and destruction of property are not righteous in some way, you know, and maybe righteous isn't the word that I'm looking sure. for. Um, but that, you know, they're looking to um, invalidate, right. Um, that activity and code that as part of the problem or to use that to point fingers and to say, well, see, if you behaved a certain way, then maybe people would listen to you, right? Yeah, and maybe civility that, politics. And maybe, it, well, it is respectability politics, but, you know, I, I want to just underscore the point that um, 
that violence is an important part of <laughs> any yes. revolution, Thank of you. any revolution. There's no such thing as a peaceful revolution. Cut that bullshit out. If you're saying that there's a peaceful revolution, you actually have not studied history. What you're doing is basically, or what some people are doing are, is cherry picking um, king quotes uh, so that they can weaponize those quotes against the people that, you know, King was basically fighting for. It's like, you know, King was assassinated. That's violence. Um, there was a lot of violence inflicted on King and all of the marchers. Like, we need to acknowledge that. We have photos. We have video. We can see, you know, hoses and dogs being, you know, um, put on protesters and, you know, children being beat up by the police. So the idea that there was no violence, right? And then people want to, you know, parse out and say, well, the protesters weren't violent. Oh, my God. Like, I just, I, I just cannot, I just cannot, um, yeah. I don't know, say something smart here, Brian. <laughs> oh God, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole, uh, I mean, not to repeat myself, but just the whole discourse on violence in a country that is dripping in it from our media and our culture to our founding, to our history, to our politics, to our healthcare, to, to everything, to the way that we imagine, like, to our general reflexive response to when somebody does something we don't like saying, throw their ass in prison. That's violence. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like you are, you are advocating for somebody to experience violence if you do that. And I just think people are full of shit and I think they don't want to say what they, or maybe they can't access what, what they're really feeling about it. And so they want to pretend that they're above it all. Uh, and and preaching nonviolence. It's fucking bullshit. Mm -hmm. uh, but <clears throat> I wanted to go back a little bit too to some of the things you were talking about about the media and the and, you know our conversation about cops kneeling. And I I encourage people again to kind of go back. We've talked about this on several episodes, and I just I got to keep you know I got to keep harping on this. The extent to which the media and law enforcement are intertwined in this country, going back to the beginning of both, has got to be understood. Like, the police are unbelievably media savvy. I mean, I don't like to give the police credit for anything, but law enforcement is really fucking good at the media to the point where they don't even have to tell the media what to do. The media works so closely with law enforcement and understands their job as helping law enforcement by yep. and large to yep. a degree that that capture cannot be sublimated in this, in this moment, in this movement, like that media savvy has got to be raised in our understanding of these issues. I, I just feel like people, it's a disconnect for the most part for a lot of people, Absolutely. but they go hand in hand. Absolutely. Um, so I, I just wanted to harp on that. Sorry, I didn't mean to. to no, I'm, I'm done. But I, I feel like um, we we talked about this in our media guide episode, um, mm -hmm. and you know, and that's relevant in this moment too. But what's also necessary um, and and badly badly needed right now is um, you know media literacy, right? Yes. And um, and how to read visual images, right? Because we do live in a you know in a visual world and. Um, the, the kinds of things that we're seeing, you know, uh, 
are seldom given a great deal of context. Like, I don't know, I don't know how people can watch the news, um, not just the national news, but um, the local news. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, it's just, you know, all of these systems are taken for granted. And the conversations around, you know, um, policing and the police, like, for example, I tuned into the local, um, you know, uh, public radio station the other day. Um, And that was a mistake, because the conversation was with someone who was a retired cop, talking about, you know, what the police can do better. And it's like, you're talking to the wrong people, right? You're talking to the wrong people, first of all. And we get, we understand why, right? Because they don't want to come and talk to, you know, organizers and activists. Mm -hmm. They don't want to talk to the community and all of this stuff, right? Because they only come and talk to those people when, you know, um, when there's an incident, right? And Mm -hmm. they want to see people crying. They want to see people screaming. They want to see people getting, you know, killed. And they want to show images of, you know, like, horrible things, uh, you know, the killings and lynchings uh, that are happening currently. That's when they want to show Black people. They don't want to talk to people about what the actual problems are, right? Instead, they talk to a cop or a former cop, and they ask them the most ridiculous questions ever. Well, do you think that there's a way to make this better? Well, and the cops are always like, well, yeah, I think, you know, training, Right. So training is like drug that people are taking now and not just now, but, you know, as a general thing. Right. And I've for folks that followed me for on Twitter for years, you know, I've had my riff on, you know, fucking diversity and inclusion training. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been talking about that bullshit for years. Um you know, what's problematic with that. But, you know, in a nutshell, basically, there is no weekend, you know, diversity workshop or sensitivity training that is going to transform an inherently racist and death-making system into something that is going to be kindler and gentler and these fuckers are going to stop killing people. That's just not going to happen, right? That being anti-racist is a lifelong practice, That is something that requires, you know, one, that you choose, right? Not that you're signaling by, I saw, what was that bullshit that was happening today about, you know, checking your privilege or whatever the fuck they were doing, um, where a bunch of white people, you know, knelt down and were doing whatever the hell white people do when they feel guilty about some bullshit um, and they want to distance themselves from all of the, what they consider, quote unquote, bad white people. Right. Like that bullshit is not helping. That's adding to the noise. And it's basically centering white people and white people's guilt in this moment. Fuck that. Cut that bullshit out. Go home and start doing some fucking reading. Get into a goddamn study group the way a lot of other people do. Right. Mm -hmm. And sit there and start reading some of the stuff. Don't ask black people for their labor right now. Certainly don't ask them to perform the kind of emotional labor that is required to teach racist ass white people without compensation. Like that is not where it's at in this moment, right? Like there are plenty of syllabi online that you can go and read. Um, There are plenty of resources available. People have been writing these books. People have been talking about this shit, especially 
like you said, since the founding of BLM, since BLM, you know, really took off six years ago, people have been writing ad nauseum books and all kinds of things for how to not be a shitty ass racist white person. Go find those books. That's your fucking task right now. Give your money. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Give your money to organizations that are doing grassroots radical work to dismantle this shit if you actually want to do something. Find those organizations and join those organizations. I don't want to say any more directly to, you know, to white people about what it is that they need to do. People have said that. That is not going to be my life's work. Totally. And just to echo off of that, like, we live in a time where there's perhaps never been so much at your disposal to learn about this shit. Like, like you said, the books, the articles, like, and then on top of it, the fact that all of a lot of it is accessible to so many more people through the internet. Like this is truly almost like a Renaissance moment for a lot of this. And there's no excuse. There's no excuse. Um, And I, I also wanted to go back because, uh, and, and, on the subject of reforms and also speaking to white people, I think one thing that, uh, and I mean, really all people, but I think we really also, when it comes to reforms and when it comes to a lot of these things, we have got to stop taking it at face value. You have got to stop. Like the bias training, I know what it sounds like. It sounds great. It sounds like, oh my God, they go and they they have to confront these things and that are you know like these uh implicit biases that they have and they have to think through them and they must leave with an epiphany i can tell you as a journalist who not only has a lot of contacts who are in these rooms uh not as law enforcement but who work alongside law enforcement say as uh criminal uh, defense attorneys uh as clerks as other things like that these trainings are box checking. These trainings are a way to say, well, I'm not racist because I did it. I did the thing that you wanted me to do. You know, I went to the training. I, I go every year and I, I do my two hours of training. You know, we go, there's donuts and everybody gathers around and we talk about it. It's fucking bullshit. And the this is how it works with so many of these reforms. It looks plausible on paper if you don't know better. But then when you see it happen in real life, it's used it's used to hide behind. It's used as a way to say like, oh, that problem is fixed. I, I just want people to see that, especially when it comes to law enforcement, when it comes to police and prisons, these things are specifically designed to quell discontent, to increase the legitimacy or the perceived legitimacy of an institution to hide behind in the event of lawsuits uh, to acquire more resources such as in the case of oh we should just give the cops more money they'll probably kill less people if they get paid better oh good lord you know like all of this stuff you have got to interrogate how it actually plays out and not just be like oh that sounds like like you know a plus b equals c right like if they're racist, we'll just train them not to be racist, and then they won't be they won't be racist anymore. Like, and can a, I tell you, yes, as someone yes. who's had to sit through these trainings, 
Many of the people that they hire don't know shit about racism or anything else like that. Many of them don't have the critical lenses or the historical um, knowledge to be able to, you know, answer questions adequately or anything like that. I'll give you an example. So years ago, and this is going back almost 10 years, I was sitting in a diversity training where the facilitator, um, who they hyped up a great deal, right, um, wanted to do uh, or had us do a role play, right? Now, I fucking hate role playing, yeah. right? Because I already know that this is going to be a goddamn train wreck the minute someone opens their mouth, right? <laughs> no, for real. Like, no, I, I'm with you. People, totally. wanna, people who engage in this kind of nonsense and co-sign this bullshit, they need to sit down to stop. Like, seriously fucking stop that. So, you know, there were a bunch of pieces of paper that they put in the middle of each table, right? So we had a big table. There must have been, you know, like eight people around the table or what have you. So the idea was that, you know, everyone picked um, one of the sheets of paper on the table and there were eight different roles. So you were to talk to the person next to you. And um, that person was supposed to act out the role that was on the paper. Hello? 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 Right? So the thing that was listed on, um, I don't remember mine, but I remember the person that I was sitting with who was a white male. Um, he got something. He was um, a Mexican and, uh, you know, blah, 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 oh. and going down the line. Like it was all kinds of, you know, fucked up shit. So, of course, the first thing he does is try to mimic a Mexican accent. Oh, God. Right? And and then it just went downhill from there. And I was just like, you know what? Y'all can miss me with this. I'm not coming back. Right? And then I become the problem. Right? I yeah. become the problem. Right? And this is what happens. Right? So, in these institutions... When they're doing this kind of bullshit, they get, you know, one or two people to stand up in front of the room and there's usually a black person or a white person, right? Or a person of color. And those are the people who are facilitating. But those people are, might be skilled facilitators, but they know shit all about, you know, like the kind of historical problems. They can't provide that analysis. Right. They can't address, uh, you know, the oppression in all the kinds of ways that it manifests itself. What they can do is basically facilitate what they think are cute little games and activities, right? right. And they can throw a fucking ball around the room, a tennis ball or, you know, sometimes a ball of yarn, you know, and somehow that's miraculously going to translate into, you know, um, people not being shitty people anymore. And it's like, that is not, that is not helping anyone, anyone, right? But uh, the thing that you made me think of when you were talking about um, the implicit bias, um, you know, bullshit, is that even if these things are brought to people's attention and made explicit, right? <laughs> like if we could talk about their explicit biases, it sure. doesn't yeah. the fact that people are still racist. It doesn't yes. lodge that. Thank it you. Doesn't eliminate that it doesn't give them tools for how to deal with that how to fix that how to you know whatever and it basically gives the impression this is something that they can do you know through a series of workshops 
or that they can be certified in. Like we have professionalized yeah. diversity and inclusion and companies, organizations, universities, well, police departments, all of these, you know, entities hire these people. And it's like you said, it's, it's to check it off. They can go down the list and they can said, yep, we had diversity training, right? For example, I was, um, I worked again at same university I'm thinking about, and uh, we were all required to do sexual harassment training. Now, when I tell you this is the most corny bullshit you have ever experienced, it was a video, right? And who knows who did that video in somewhere, how somewhere in, you know, the early 2000s, right? And the scenarios were just freaking ridiculous. <laughs> so everyone is, you know, everyone was required to, to do this as part of, you know, maintaining their, their contracts. Okay, cool. Well, one of the guys that worked in my department, old white guy, um, went around and literally posted the printout of his sexual harassment training to his office door, right? This is someone who had been sexually harassing people in the oh goddamn department, God. right? So he posted it on the door to signal that he had passed the sexual harassment training. Therefore, he couldn't possibly be someone who would be oh sexually my God. harassing anyone. I mean, that's a perfect illustration of this. And that's why, that's why we need to move past that kind of, you know, just, I don't know, insert whatever profane word you want right there, because all I can think of is bullshit. I, I think it also, you know, I, I think to a certain, I don't want to say that like there is no individual analysis to racism because obviously people have to work on their shit, right? But like Absolutely. these trainings also individualize it completely, yep. completely the racism. And I don't understand how we can in one breath talk about structural racism and then um, in the other talk about training as the the solution to it or as a way to combat it. Those mm -hmm. things do are not compatible. Mm -hmm. Like when you're saying there's a structural racism, it means that the racism is built around, built into and built around the society. It's part of the institutions. It's part of the relations. And then to say, well, we just got to help people individually be not racist. You haven't changed the structure. Yeah. You haven't changed the structure at all. So it's just... And then, you know, that way, every single time something like this happens and there's outrage and then the politicians and the police can get together and say, we hear you, we're going to do the training. And then the hope is that that just dissipates it. And it works. It's worked for decades, for well, decades. I, I think it works for decades because the people who are, um, who are interacting with, you know, uh, the police departments and what have you, um, and, you know, who position themselves as representatives of the community right. are also, you know, very much aligned with Absolutely. law enforcement. Um, so, you know, they usually dispatch these folks to, you know, help keep the community in line. Right. So it's like, they're like, well, yeah, this, you know, this makes sense. Well, we've taken action, you know, and, and we agree, we believe that this is the right thing to do. Right. And then, uh, the other tactic that they use is, you know, they create a task force. Right. And then it's like, you look at who's on the task force oftentimes and it's never, you know, it's never activists. 
right? And not that we want to be on the fucking task force. What, what needs to happen is, you know, if we're going to really listen to what activists and organizers are asking in this moment is to really, to pay attention to that, right? Like, I'm not asking for a seat at the table. I right. don't want to be at your racist fucked up table, your exclusionary table and all of that stuff. You can have your table, right? I, that's not what I'm interested in. But the other thing about, you know, training and um, and I think this is an important point, but it also takes us back to, um, you know, this idea of reforms mm -hmm. is that, you know, more training only require, you know, only leads to putting more money into the police force. Yep. It's not the thing that you want to do. Right. It also, you know, can, does not increase safety. Right. It doesn't do anything in terms of increase, uh, increasing safety. Uh, and it doesn't reduce the scale of policing. And those are things if you go to the critical resistance website and you download their uh, non reformist reforms uh, for, you know, abolitionist steps in policing. It makes it clear right there. I mean, this handout has been around for a few years, and I swear it's very useful to getting a framework or to having a framework for understanding, you know, what um, what these proposed reforms usually do. Years ago, we were talking about, you know, some of us were talking about body cameras. People mm -hmm. were advocating for that as if that was the solution. And, you know, for a lot of us, we're like, the body cameras are not going to serve us, right? The body cameras are not going to be used in service of, you know, the community. They're going to be used to exonerate police officers. Yep. That's going to be the reason why, you know, they, they use cameras, but again, increase, you know, um, money, more money to the police. Yep. They're going to increase surveillance, you know, on and on and on. And it doesn't really do, you know, it doesn't do much, um, in, in terms of address the actual problem. Yeah. Um, can I, another can thing I jump? Oh, sorry. No, no, yeah, keep no, it going. Go ahead. no, go ahead. I was gonna, I just, those are excellent points and they just raise things that I just quickly want to get in. Like, I think, uh, especially with the um, with the body cam thing, I this is another thing that is coming up again. People are saying we need transparency, and I am not against transparency, but transparency without enforcement is voyeurism. What yeah. good is transparency if you can't do shit with the information? If nothing's mm -hmm. gonna happen with the information you're getting, like. You know, I on the one hand, I suppose it's good to have a better insight into police misconduct or I guess just the conduct of policing. It's all misconduct. Like, but if you can't do shit about it other than file complaints to the police to do something about it internally, then not only are you not doing anything, but you just don't understand the culture in police departments. Like, it just shows you how shallow a lot of this stuff is and well all, all of this stuff basically leaves the system intact all of this exactly. stuff is not you know does not work towards abolition what it does is basically it takes the system for granted it says basically that we need to keep policing around and that maybe there's a way to work within this system right when you were talking about um you know filing complaints it just makes me think of you know it, uh, what happens in prisons right and yep. we need to connect the conversation yes. to 
what the situation that's happening in prisons because you know these uh, cops on the outside and cops that work in prison are part of the same fucking gang right like <laughs> they really are um but in prison you know it's your uh if you're filing a grievance you're filing a grievance within that structure, right? You're not appealing to an external entity to intervene. You're appealing usually to the very same people who have, you know, the equivalent on the outside would be, you'd be appealing to the person that arrested you, right? And, and it's like, this is the situation that we have created, not just in, in terms of prisons, you know, on the outside, we have, you know, courts and whatever, um, who are also part of the problem. Right. So when we're calling for the abolition of policing, at least when I'm calling for it, I'm calling for the abolition of that entire system. I'm not talking about just leaving this part of it, you know, um, getting rid of this part and then leaving the other pieces intact. They all work together. This is what it means to have, you know, a systemic analysis. Right. That if you understand this as part of a system or structural analysis, rather, um, then you can make sense of these other things and you can get some clarity about what is actually going on and what the potential outcomes are going to be. People have spent decades thinking about these issues, right? This isn't a new thing. This may be new to a lot of people, but just because it's new to you doesn't mean that we haven't thought about it, right? <laughs> That's for damn sure. <laughs> and oh, I mean, and. You know, just to go a little further with that, too, like it's a system with a culture, too, because I don't want people to be fooled into being like, oh, well, we'll just change the policies in the system, you know, and that and that'll fix it. Like the institutions and the systems are bolstered and animated by a culture. And we have to change that culture, too. And we've talked about it on the show constantly. And that piece is missing. And. The last thing that I want to say about reform, you know, I was really getting into it on Twitter today uh, because Bernie Sanders put out a proposal today, a bunch of bullet points about how to reform the police. One of them is, uh, you know, with all kinds of conditions attached to it, that we should pay police more in order to improve their conduct. And when I pointed out that this has been done in prisons, this has been done in jails, This has been done in police departments for decades uh, without any of the expected benefits that people are hoping for. uh, And that, you know, it's just, it's not listening. People are saying, well, you know, the Bernie Sanders sat down with activists. This is where he got those proposals proposals for. And so when we talk about activists, we need to be crystal fucking clear about who we're talking about. There are activists who are in proximity to power who are essentially advisors yep. to powerful people. If you want to understand the critiques and the efficacy of the proposals that those activists are giving people like Bernie Sanders, listen to abolitionists, because not only do they have the most seasoned, well-informed critiques that come not only from experience, but like you said, decades of study and uh, and action and you know like and and just all of it that is where you need to go like getting back to the face value thing I'll, and i'll just end it here like you can't if you see a reform and it sounds like a good idea to you 
but it doesn't have to do with legitimately taking material power and resources and shrinking aspects of the system. The first thing you should do before you start rallying behind it is go see what abolitionists have to say about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it, we're not. Um, and, and many people have moved closer uh, to abolition, you know, so calling for defunding the police is an abolitionist strategy or, an, you know, a non-reformist reform. Um, but it's not the end. Right. And this is my concern is that that ask is, you know, people are treating that ask. And I'm not saying that the activists are treating that ask that way. I'm saying that mm -hmm. everyone else is like, oh, yeah, defund the police. OK, um, defund the police is getting us closer to abolishing the police. Right. So right. we want to reduce the size and scope of policing. And I need to, you know, say that again. We're, if it doesn't reduce the size and scope of policing, it's not something that, you know, I'm asking for. I'll yep. put it that way. And who cares what I'm asking for, right? No, no one's listening to me. Um, I'm listening to you. <laughs> but I wanted to, you know, something else I wanted to say because this is something that we hear a lot. Um, that, you know. What we need is to diversify the police force, right? That we need more, you know, black and brown people um, wearing blue uniforms, right? Uh, and somehow that that's going to make a difference. Oh, gosh, this is it's so exhausting. What do you it's have so to say about that, Kim? <laughs> Putting black and brown people in you know, recruiting them into the police department does not change the fucking culture of the police department. It ignores the fact that this is a system, right? That this is not about individual cops, yep. right? That this is not about individual cop behaviors, good, bad, or otherwise. That this nonsense about, you know, these are bad apples, right? It's like, we need to move away from that. That's not, that's not a good analysis, Right. All that is, is parroting some bullshit that is basically propaganda put out by the police. Right. Because you always hear, you know, police chiefs and folks like that always saying, you know, oh, well, this was this was a few bad apples. Right. Or these were just a few cops. Right. To give the impression that everyone else is great. And then they come out with, as you said, you know, cops giving ice cream cones to, to children and what have you. Right. There's a reason why, you know, um, these organizations that are funded by the police exist in black communities. Right. It's like there's a reason why you have yep. the police athletic league. Right. It's like there's a reason why they're funding and backing a lot of these kinds of, you know, uh, things. That's propaganda. Right. So it's like, well, I know a cop. Right. Oh, so what? It doesn't mean you can know a cop. You can be related to a cop. You can have an analysis of this that moves you beyond your interpersonal relationship with someone yes. who represents a fucking death making machine. Yes. Thanks for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> I just want to leave that silence hanging there because that is a critical fucking point. I'm angry. I'm so annoyed. I mean, I, I honestly, I'm so annoyed right now. And I'm so glad that, you know, we we decided to have this conversation. Um, yeah. Let, yeah. Let's keep going, too, just quickly, because I, I, you know, we're talking about these reforms. Uh, another one that I've seen come up. 
why don't we uh, have unarmed mental health professionals accompany armed police officers to, to calls? Oh, God. And somebody had the nerve to tell me that that was abolitionist today. And I'm sorry, but again, this is don't something you're taking... You're, you're, something you're taking at face value that is just absolute batshit, like, nonsense. Like... If you understand anything about a mental health crisis, you don't want somebody with a fucking gun showing up, okay? And if you also understand anything about mental health, you know that helping somebody through a crisis like that cannot happen in a coercive situation. So having a cop there, it doesn't matter if you have a fucking mental health professional with them. Go listen to the episode that we did with Devin Springer on this topic. We talked about this at length. This is not abolitionist. This is fucking bullshit. And I just, the the fact that people can see that as a step forward instead of not interrogating how it's going to play out and the circumstances of a mental health crisis. I mean, that's, it's wishing violence upon people. This is where, this is where um, we need a lot of different things to happen. Right. So when you talked about shifting the culture, right. Um, Mm -hmm. Changing the culture, I'm thinking also the culture out here, right. Because culture out here tends to be largely uncritical, um, mostly reactionary and assumes that any change is good change. Stop that bullshit. No, it's not. Just because someone is moving doesn't mean that it's good. Right. It does not mean that. Right. Just because we're doing this thing and or rearranging and whatever, that it doesn't make it good. You need to have an analysis of this and something or at least a framework to think about, you know, how these various proposals are going to play out. This one really annoys me as if the other ones didn't really fucking annoy me. But this, you know, when you introduce someone or when you introduce the cops into a situation where someone is in crisis, that person or people around them are more likely to be killed than not. Right. So we need to make sure we understand that we don't have a whole lot of radical therapists in this country. Right. So whatever clown ass, you know, person that they're going to have show up is part of law enforcement, right? Like, I, I'm I'm sorry. Oh, you know what? I'm not sorry. Let me not apologize. I, I want to be clear about that. I'm not apologizing for uh, for for what I'm uh, what I'm about to say. If I see you with a cop, you're a cop. Yep. Right. And I get that, you know, people are like, well, you have to work with the police and all that stuff. Actually, you don't No. Actually, you don't. You can present a set of demands. You can say, these are the things that we want. You can do all kinds of other things. If you're not clear on how that would work, you know, there are people who are doing that work now, right? There are people who are doing that work now, right? They're not sitting there basically, you know, giving concessions to the police. They're not, right? It's like the whole issue around mental health in this country, especially right now, we're in the middle of a global fucking pandemic. And the cops just yesterday or the day before yesterday, because like, what is time right now? Like I'm, I'm lost. I don't even know what day is. Um, (laughs) basically, you know, um, trap people on 676 on the highway, you know, here in, in Philly and they pepper sprayed them. Right. So it's like we're in the middle of a global pandemic that affects people's lungs, people's breathing. 
and the police are attacking people with things that make it difficult for them to breathe, mm-hmm. right? Like this is, this is where we are, you know? And it's like, I don't have the time or the patience. And frankly, I no longer have the inclination to kind of hold people's hands and make them feel better about their ashy ass ideas. Like <laughs> you need to do better. You need to do better. And part of that doing better is, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? Um, I had a, a conversation, um, uh, Ruth Wilson Gilmore, uh, Amanda Alexander um, from Detroit and I uh, were on Rust Belt Abolition Radio um, couple months ago now. And we had a conversation about a lot of things, you know, surrounding COVID at that, at that time. And one of the things that that I raised in that, um, in that conversation, you know, had to do with all of the immense amount of work that activists, especially abolitionists have put out, you know, and I, I prefer the word organizer, organizers, um, abolitionist organizers have put together, right? So there are so many really good toolkits out there. Like we can keep going and making new toolkits as, you know, things come up, but there's also a lot of work, right? There's an entire archive of materials and tools that can help people not only think through the problem, of policing and what to do about it and how to evaluate these various, you know, reform efforts and what to do instead of those things. But there's also things to address, you know, um, sexual assault in your community, um, childhood sexual abuse, uh, you know, in, in your community as well. There's all kinds of strategies for dealing with, you know, the very problems that we deal with every single day without introducing the police into our lives. We have done this work, right? This work is being done every single day and you don't Mm -hmm. have to go out and try to figure all this out. People have done it. They're trying it. And to add to that, and then I'll, you know, shut the fuck up. Um, (laughs) To add to that, we also need to make space for the fact that we don't have all the answers. Not yes. having all the answers doesn't mean that we don't try. It also doesn't mean that we haven't thought deeply about these problems or have seen them in operation in our communities. We have, we have. The, that kind of, you know, um, that evaluation of abolition as, you know, a pretext for dismissing abolitionist, you know, ideas is nonsense, right? That's uncritical nonsense. No yeah. one asks those same things or those same questions of the police. And not that, well, if you ask them of the police, you can come ask them over here. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that we need to be more critical in the way we think about these things. And a lot of people has, have spent a great deal of time um, putting together things that you can use every single day. Uh, Brian and I have used, you know, um, a lot of the TJ materials. Um, well, I'll speak for myself. You can cut that part out if um, if you're uncomfortable with that, Brian. No. Um, but uh, I've used a lot of the uh, TJ materials in my own life, right? And I uh, continue to use those things. And um, it, it's it, they've been invaluable. They've really helped. Uh, they changed my life. Absolutely. 
Exactly. Many different situations. And, you know, it's not, you didn't have to go out and sort this all out by yourself. Like, you know, it's like, oh, there's, there's tools to think through this problem, you know, and, and I share those tools with, you know, people in my life. Like I've kept it very close, you know, very close to home in terms of, um, you know, a lot of that stuff. And, uh, and yeah, it's like, i started with, you know, with people in my, in my life, I started with people in my life. And I mean, the, the people that I interact with pretty much on a daily basis. Absolutely. The, the creative interventions toolkit, like single-handedly saved my family. Yes. Like, I mean, I'm not even, that's not an exaggeration. So this shit is very real and it, and you know, it's messy. It doesn't always work. It's not like transformative justice as a, as a panacea. Like I'm, I'm just saying, you know, even transformed justice practitioners will tell you it's, it's hard. It's very hard. It's very frustrating. Uh, it's not like you just snap your fingers and everyone gets in a circle and it works out, you know, but these are, there are skills and uh, principles and, and just ways of going about problems that are invaluable um, to that. Absolutely. And, you know, I, yeah. I mean, so much of what you said there really resonates with me. You know, I think um, the point about not having the answers is a really big one. I th- I've been thinking about this a lot on the subject of violence. Uh, and, you know, as abolitionists, the question we always get is, well, what are you going to do about violence? What are you going to do about the rapists and murderers and killers? And uh, very understandably, I'm not knocking this at all. This is also what I do. I think we tend to, as abolitionists, you know, we, we do two things. We challenge the premise, which absolutely needs to be done. And they point to transformative justice. And like I just said, it's also incredibly important and valuable, but it's also very messy. But I think a lot of times people feel like there's some kind of secret knowledge about abolition and the question of violence that we're not divulging. And one thing I personally... I'm going to try to make more of an effort to do. And I, and Kim, I, you know, I'd be interested to hear if, if you have thoughts on this, but I think, you know, for me personally, I want to try to really engage people and, and sort of be vulnerable and be like, well, what do we do about violence? You know, because like I've said, the, the institutions that we have don't work. You know, I've mm-hmm. challenged the premise. Uh, there are these alternatives. But part of abolition is having a radical imagination. It's a collective exercise. And I just feel like we need to invite people into that work of imagining how, what those conditions are that we get to. And that doesn't at all replace the work that's already been done. And that work is critical, I think, to even having that conversation um, and having it in a really meaningful way. But we don't have the answers. And I think, especially in a moment like this, we don't don't have all the answers. We've, we've sorted some things out and we know that, you know, things don't work in every single situation, right? What people are looking for is a shorthand to a utopia that doesn't exist, right? right? To a world that, you know, we're not like, that's not where it's at. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about dealing with actual human beings with all the 
complexities and all the ugliness and all the, you know, messiness that comes along with that, right? We're not talking about, you know, we wave a magic wand and all of a sudden, you know, we do away with harm. That's right. not the way, that's not the way any of this works, right? So, and I, I know that, you know, it's like my my tone, right? Because it's going to offend somebody. Um, you know, that's called tone policing. So there we yeah, go. But um, <laughs> um, that I sound angry in this moment, right? So you need to make space for anger, you yep. know, and for people's rage, right? And that's something that we're not seeing and that we don't see every time there's a, you know, a killing. Right. Every time the police kill someone. Right. It's there's a right way to protest. Right. So basically what you're doing is you're derailing and silencing, you know, people's rage, which is, you know, rage is a trauma response. People are responding to the fact that they have to live with this over and over and over again. Not only do they have to live with this over and over and over again, but, you know, in terms of um, seeing these images play out on the media every single day and in having all of these people weigh in on, you know, what's happening, uh, talking about the victim, you know, it's like if the victim was, you know, um, did something in their past that, you know, <laughs> ran afoul of the law, that gets, you know, ushered out. And the media do this as well. They play yeah. in that, you know, that con constructing that narrative. Right. Yeah. So it's like people are having to deal with traumas from all different kinds of angles. Again, if we're talking about what's happening just right now, like we, I'm not going back to 1968 and all that shit. Like we can have that conversation some other time. We can talk about right it, just these last few months. Right. Just these last few months as we're all living under a fucking global pandemic. And having all of the uncertainty around that, because it is anxiety producing. People don't know if they're going to live or die. Like, this is the reality of being in a global pandemic that is claiming people left and right. And that, by all accounts, is going to take many more people before the year is out. Like, this is, this is where we are. Right. Yeah. And then all of the anxiety about people losing their jobs and all of this stuff. So all of this stuff not only, um, you know, intensifies the problem, but when you add, you know, policing to it, when you add racism to it, when, you know, it's like, it makes the situation even worse. And then you're telling, you're lecturing Black people, you're tone policing Black people, you're telling them that there's a right way for them to express their anger. No, there is not. There is no yeah. way for a Black person to rightfully express their anger in this country that is going to be satisfactory for racist-ass white people. Mm -hmm. Black people took a knee and white people lost their fucking minds. Yeah. They said, oh, well, you dishonoring the flag or this and that. Colin Kaepernick still doesn't have a fucking job. Right. Yeah. So it's like there's no right way for black people to express the kind of pain and rage and all of the things that they've had to experience on every single day. Right. That is going to be acceptable for um, for most white people, I would say. Not all white people, but for most white people. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like. 
Is that is that our fucking goal? We don't yeah. live we don't live and, and die for black people like, or for white people. We don't. You know, yeah. it's like the the white gaze is is a hell of a thing, and it's like this is where all of these respectable folks who are coming out and you know yelling at black people with the police standing behind them and telling them you know don't burn down your community or we can do better and Martin Luther King this yeah. and whatever you know that um, those folks are you know first of all really confused about their fucking politics like yeah. they're all over the the damn place. Um, so don't listen to them. Don't fucking yeah. listen to them. There's there's one thing, you know, um, but, you know, podcasts like ours and, uh, you know, there are other uh, revolutionary work out there uh, that's happening. I mean, a lot of it really good stuff um, that people are publishing. Uh, a lot of podcasts, Devin's podcast, uh, Jay's podcast, yep. all these different things. Um, you know, those are resources that people can tap into to begin to understand the complexities of these problems, to understand where people are coming from and um, yeah, to make space for, for people's anger. Because I think that unless you do that, you're really not going to get to the place where people are going to trust that they can be vulnerable with you because it's been shown over and over again that, you know, black people's feelings, I mean, black people in this country don't fucking matter. This is why we have BLM, right? right? right. We, have to, we have to actually say that, you know, and then people are still upset and don't understand how, you know, don't even understand that statement. Yeah. I mean, did I, did I lose us? I, I mean, I know no. you're talking about vulnerability. No, 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 no. You, you yeah, totally yeah. nailed it. You completely nailed it. No, I'm I just like, it. I'm yeah. fucking exhausted and it's overwhelming. It's really fucking overwhelming. And um, the task before us is to make the police obsolete and, and prisons and everything that gave, gave birth to it. You know, um, and, the, and, and the conditions that, you know, that gave rise to it. I mean, right. we're not, we're not going to fix this when, you know, I saw today, I don't even, you know, I don't follow sports at all, not interested. And I, I don't want anybody coming and, you know, trying to educate me on sports, not my jam. Um, but I saw, you know, some athlete today basically said that, you know, he, he will, anybody that disrespects the flag or, you know, some bullshit along that line that, you know, he, he doesn't care about or whatever. And it's like, th right now is a time for you to shut up, boo. Like, really, right now is a good time for you to just be quiet. If you're not clear yeah. about what's going on, this is not the time for white people to center themselves, their guilt, their feelings, or, you know, their desire no. signal that they're not like other white people. Whiteness is the issue. Right. Whiteness is the issue. It's, it's it, obviously not all white people. I'm not going to have that conversation. You know, it doesn't even need to be said. It's <laughs> like, I mean, it's, I, I don't give a shit if it's all white people or not. You know, it's like it's I really don't exactly like it's splitting exactly. hairs at this point. You know exactly. Um, but it's though you know having having folks go back and think about that. I mean, it's like if you look at social media, if you look at any of the um like entertainment news and stuff like that. Entertainment news is really you know just just a train wreck um at the moment because people are you know posting all kinds of things and you know they think that they're they think that they're doing good, but a lot of that is really just um them trying to manage their brand yeah. so that they don't lose sales in this moment. 
Um, and we need to be clear about that. And again, this is why having an analysis of these things um, is important, right? Like not just passively consuming all of this bullshit. Um, I, I'm not, I, I'm not arguing with people why, you know, over why celebrity culture um, is, you know, like deeply problematic and yep. is very cozy with law enforcement. I mean, I, I worked in the music industry. There were, you know, for almost five years. Um, there isn't a music video that happens without the presence of the police mm-hmm. for the most part or, or private security. There's not, there's just not, you know? So it's like, it, it just there and we can unpack that you know some other time but yeah i mean i think that you know a lot of celebrities are coming out now i mean you just had jamie fox what a week ago being an apologist for jimmy fallon's blackface and saying jimmy fallon had nothing to apologize for and then all of a sudden you know this week he's like you know singing hymns at a protest and it's like oh god yeah yeah and not that we have have class they have class solidarity, you know. And I mean, it's but the thing is that you know we um oh god I I just I I can't even it, I'm not asking for political purity either right and I, I think that that needs to be you know that needs to be said right that we're messy and we're complicated and there's a lot of contradictions and things like that but again these people have a tendency to not listen right yep. like there's really not anyone that they're willing to um, take cues from. And I mean, we can argue, I think that a good argument can be made as to that's why we have this president. I mean, people are so deeply invested in reality TV and in the belief that, you know, any person can do anything, even if they don't have, you know, a fucking clue. You know, it's like, if you have, if you're a business person or whatever, you can just go off and do whatever. I mean, we saw that yesterday with the, you know, what I call black boxes activism. I mean, it's yeah. like, <laughs> the fuck? It's, oh God, it, it's so much. It's so much. It's so much. But well, I know. I think we should wrap it up. I know. Um, I don't. I don't want to exhaust the listeners. <laughs> but that felt good. Like fuck. I mean, it's if you hung in with us until yeah. this point, like, yo, seriously, um, we really appreciate it. We yeah. know it was, you know, this was a less um, kind of structured conversation and more, you know, honestly, just us venting because we're both like extremely, you know, frustrated and overwhelmed dealing with a lot of other things, um, you know, that it, on top of everything else that's going on. And then also um, trying to insert ourselves in a conversation without adding to the noise, right? And I'm always, always asking myself, how is this, you know, if I say this thing publicly, how is this thing, you know, clarifying? How is this thing helping? Um, because I'm not interested in, you know, like being cute, um, or clever. Uh, I just, you know, honestly want, I I want things to change. I want things to change and I want that change to be long lasting. So yeah, it's like, you know, what are we choosing to attend to right now? And, um, yeah, I appreciate, um, you, Brian, I appreciate, uh, folks that have hung in, uh, for what an hour and a half. 
to listen to us uh, mostly vent today. And um, yeah, yeah. Right Support our Patreon, uh, patreon.com backslash beyond prisons. Uh, you can find me at phillyprof03 on Twitter. Ryan? I'm at B. Sonnenstein, and we're at beyond underscore prison uh, on Twitter as well. Yeah, and you can find our uh, our uh, website is uh, beyond-prisons.com, and there are links there to our Patreon um, and uh, other ways to support the podcast if you're interested. But all of the uh, episodes are free and available. Yep. There's an archive of over 50 episodes. Um, I think it's, what, 54 now, 53 I lost. There's a lot. lot. There's a lot. Um, And, you know, we encourage you to listen to those things and um, to listen to those episodes and use the resources that we've already linked to, um, you know, in most of those uh, in most of those episodes. Yeah. Um, And we love hearing from people, too. So if you want to hit us up, beyond prisons podcast at gmail.com, you can leave reviews, too. We definitely read those. So. You know, we, we like hearing, you know, what the podcast means to you, what you think about it, all that. Um, mm-hmm. Unless you got some racist shit to say, then you can shut the fuck up. Um, <laughs> or if you're a conservative organization yeah. reaching out to us trying to get your person Man, you know, on our podcast just... <laughs> so that we can have a fair and balanced conversation, um, you can save your energy and your emails. <laughs> like, we're, we're just not interested. Um, we're good. We're good. We'll reach out if we are. Um, but I also want to send, you know, um, love and solidarity to everyone that's out yes. there um, protesting. People are risking their lives. I know that people have, you know, been maimed and killed, um, yep. you know, and, you know, and, and they're fighting for change. Um, we're all fighting for change. And that if you can't participate um, in a protest for whatever reason, that there are many other ways to participate in this movement. Um, You know, find radical organizations in your area. Again, we've interviewed a lot of people, but there's also links in most of our podcasts to radical organizations. And um, the resource kit that we created for prisoners includes links to a lot of mutual aid organizations, bail funds, um, you know, food pantries, all kinds of things. People still need those things. Again, I, I want to emphasize we're still living in the middle of a global pandemic um, and that's not going to be over anytime soon, even as, you know, states have reopened and continue to reopen things. Um, also, also um, much love to everyone uh, in prison right now because, um having to live with, you know, the threat of a pandemic um, and and all of this other stuff on top of it. We we haven't, we, we didn't talk about it in this episode, but we will. Um, you have a lot of racist, you know, cops that work inside of prisons and tensions are high, right? Yeah. Tensions are high right now. And uh, Prisons, uh, prison officials are really keeping a close eye on what's happening on the streets because they use that to gauge, you know, when they're going to lock things down and what kind of yeah. disruptive measures they're going to take um, inside of their facilities. And a lot of places have already done that, disrupting phone, co- you know, phone calls, yeah. um, you know, and and 
uh, you know, halting mail or email and things like that. So, you know, federal prisons lockdown uh, today, I believe, or this week because of the yep. protests. So exactly. people on the inside yeah. are experiencing this too. This, and, and experiencing oftentimes without access to good information, they don't have access to social media um, yeah. and, you know, they may not be able to call, you know, their people um, and their people may not have, you know, good information either. So yeah. there's a lot, um, there's a lot there. And, you know, uh, as I continue to talk with, you know, people on the inside um, about what's happening, um, it weighs, it, it's weighing heavily um, on them and and on us. So, um, yeah, much love to, to those folks as well. Yeah. And to all the listeners, thank you for listening to Beyond yes. Persons. Yeah. All right. Well, all right, I hope right. everybody take care of each other uh, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.